0: The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Saturday, May 13th, 2023. Rios, don't wait until it's too late. Fire! Hey everybody, this is your host, Peter, with the 45th Digest of the second volume, covering Monday, May 8th through Friday, May 12th, 2023. Marvel Saga Monday, Part 23, taking a look at the official history of ...of the Marvel Universe. This is Issue 23. Appropriately enough, this is Episode 616. So, kind of nice that I'm talking about something Marvel. Peter Sanderson returns as writer-researcher. Your cover art this time around is by Ron Friends and Jose Marzan Jr. As I'm looking at the two covers, I think if I saw the back cover... And studied it, I would think it was friends. But the front cover, not so much. So on the front cover, we have Dragon Man versus Human Torch and Medusa. Taken from Fantastic Four, issue number 44. The caption reads, From the pages of the Fantastic Four, it's the uncanny humans. And then your back cover features Doctor Doom in the middle. Hovering over the wedding of Reed and Sue, and then there are a number of other Marvel guests uh, around them, including the rest of the Fantastic Four, Thor, Iron Man, and Cyclops, all in costume. And then up top is the Inhumans with Black Bolt wearing his crown, and uh, that's a, a standard... the way they're positioned is very familiar across early... Um, Kirby work. Stories inside this issue are pulled from Fantastic Four issues 44 through 47 as well as Annual 3, which takes us close to the end of 1965 in publishing continuity, but also Strange Tales 161, which is from the summer of 1967. So that's a big jump in, in time and in sequence. And that's it. Those are the only titles listed in this uh, Inside uh, page title, you know, title page. Um, You know, you would think this was about the wedding, but nope. This is an issue mostly about the introduction of the Inhumans. We get new art in this issue by Steve Geiger, Phil Lord, Hector Collazo, Steve uh, Busoletto, but... I can't tell you who does what and where that new art is. Other than having those older issues uh, side-by-side with the saga, you know, I didn't do a direct comparison, you know, study every panel, but um, there are a few that stand out that I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that's a new, uh, new art, but it would be nice if they were a little more detailed. Certainly with the new editor, Danny Fingeroff is no longer the editor on the Marvel Saga Um, in terms of how detailed they are in that kind of information. This issue isn't... They don't even have a title for this issue. You know, like previous issues, it would say Book 20 and then it would have a title. This doesn't even have a title. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So we go to page one. This is new art. It certainly looks like new art. And it's Dr. Doom ranting about the upcoming wedding between Reed and Sue, which is a holdover from issue Marvel Saga issue 21. Because remember, Marvel Saga 22 was all about Peter and MJ for their wedding. Uh, Doom is going to gather an army of superpowered foes to turn Reed and Sue's wedding day into the day of their destruction. We see all of that on the first eight pages, which is a summary of the craziness of that wedding day. Thing and the X-Men versus the Mole Man, the Red Ghost and his Super Apes going after Sue and Alicia, Daredevil stopping HYDRA agents intent on blowing up the occasion. It's probably the biggest Marvel battle to date happening outside of the Baxter Building, Uatu, the Watcher, shows up. He gives Reed uh, a chance to find a weapon to use against this army of villains and to make them and Doom forget about about their actions of the day. And then finally, Reed and Sue tie the knot. I think page 5 is new art, showing all of the Marvels to date. Same with page 6, showing a gathering of villains. And then the saga states, every superhero known at the time fighting to defend the wedding party, the Baxter building, and the city itself from Onslaught. <laughs> I love that they used that word, uh, you know, in the 80s. Now, without having actually read Fantastic Four, annual number three, even in these few pages, you get the sense of the scope of it all. I would have to surmise that it's probably Marvel's first true event book. And it certainly inspired comic book wedding events for decades to come. And part of me thought, you know, it would be really cool to see this as an adaptation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, you know, the Infinity Saga went all the way up to Endgame whatever we're doing now with the multiverse stuff and Kang, uh, I'm assuming is ending in, you know, Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars, somewhere around there. What if their next concentration was to eventually end in the wedding of Reed and Sue? Like, maybe it's not a movie, but maybe it's a TV special, you know, like Werewolf by Night. I think that could be a really fun way to celebrate the Marvel Cinematic Universe, certainly different than all of the life-and-death struggle that we always seem to get at the end of these things, right? So I think that could be cool. Page 9, we get a rare full splash page in the middle of the saga. This is from the Strange Tales issue that I mentioned. Great Kirby artwork with Nick Fury and Captain America battling some armored minions, but that's really, that's all the saga touches on, that one issue. And then pages 10 all the way through to the end, the longest sequence ever, I believe, for the Marvel Saga, not including the Peter MJ issue, is the introduction of the Inhumans into the Marvel Universe. So pages 10 through 19, specifically, uh, Madame Medusa comes back into the picture... We've seen Medusa already as part of the Frightful Four, and it's because of her we meet the rest of the Inhumans. First we meet Gorgon, who is trying to, well, trying to kidnap her, but that's not really what's going on. He's trying to bring her back home, even though she doesn't know it. Uh, The android Dragon Man complicates matters during all of this. And I was surprised as I was going through the pages. I was like, wow, it's almost like they reprinted the whole issue. Um, It was fun to learn that Dragon Man has a crush on Sue and now Medusa. And it makes sense why he was included in the Future Foundation title that I read, you know, decades later. And then pages 19 through the end, uh, Johnny meets other Inhumans. He meets Crystal, not Quite yet in her classic look, uh, we meet Lockjaw, then Karnak, Triton, uh, Medusa and Gorgon make another appearance. She still doesn't know that she's a member of this group. Johnny eventually brings the rest of the Fantastic Four in, saying, I found Medusa and Gorgon, and what looks like a whole race of Inhumans. So I guess he gets the credit for naming them, even though they already had named themselves, I guess, possibly. Then we meet Black Bolt. This is all from issue 45 of Fantastic Four, which is also the first appearance of the air jet cycle that the four use a lot, which I actually kind of like. You know, I like the bathtub too, but I also like this thing. Um and the Fantastic. I mean, they yeah, they have great vehicles. Uh I sort of wished the saga would have featured the cycle a little bit more. You can see it on uh page 27 just a little bit. Then the saga focuses on Fantastic Four Forty Six, which is Black Bolt versus the Fantastic Four. They you see the artwork to the opening splash page to Fantastic Four Forty Six. While this is going on, another Inhuman known as the Seeker goes after the Dragon Man in the Baxter Building because he thinks the Dragon Man is an Inhuman. It's the Seeker who details the origins of his people to the Fantastic Four, although at this time the idea that the Kree were responsible for them, that's not in play because they haven't even appeared yet within the Marvel Universe. They don't show up until Fantastic Four, like around the 60s. So the saga fills in those gaps, talks about how the Inhumans were experimented on by the Kree, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, but in real Marvel continuity time, they were just uh, a highly advanced civilization that grew up on Earth as well. This all eventually winds up at the Great Refuge in Fantastic Four Forty Seven, where Maximus the Mad usurped the Inhuman Crown from Black Bolt. Things are eventually restored, Medusa is cured of her amnesia, and the Fantastic Four arrive at the Great Refuge in our cliffhanger for this issue. So, as I mentioned a lengthy introduction to this new corner of the Marvel Universe, uh, which I guess makes sense since it did take a number of issues in Fantastic Four to fully play out. And then we get a very bold next issue blurb talking about how the saga reaches issue 24 and how it's the second anniversary and they are going to bring with it Galactus. And the inside back cover is the cover to issue 24, featuring Galactus by Bob Layton. And it's a really great image. So that should be a fun issue. And we will get to Marvel Saga issue number 24 in two more digests. TV Tuesday. So in an effort to join in on the fun that is Star Trek Strange New World, since everyone is talking about it, I went back to re-watch Star Trek Discovery Season 1, because I never finished that show. I never went beyond Season 1. So I was like, okay, let's go back, as I do, to Season 1, then I can watch Season 2, uh, Season 3, I guess. I don't know where... Strange New Worlds fits in, but somewhere in there I can start watching Strange New Worlds, plus the other shows like Lower Decks and um, Prodigy and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Discovery Season 1 had a mid-season break after the ninth episode, and while I was re-watching those first nine episodes, I started to notice a recurring theme Or a recurring motif that speaks to the larger mystery surrounding one of the characters. So, I'm going to go a little bit in depth here. If you have not seen uh, Discovery Season 1, you'll probably want to skip this segment if you don't want to be spoiled. If you don't care, feel free to listen on. If you have seen it, you might already know this information. Maybe this is already out there. But it, it struck me, and I was like, okay, I gotta talk about it, because I think this is really cool. First off, Star Trek Discovery premiered in 2017. It's been six years, almost six years that this show has been out, which is kind of crazy. Okay, so in the back half of Season 1, I think even within Episode 10, we learn that Captain Lorca is not from our universe. He's from the Terran Empire in the Mirror Universe. While I'm doing this rewatch, I already knew that that was coming up. But it took a few episodes to realize that the writers of Discovery were giving us clues, small clues, all throughout most of the episodes leading up to the eventual reveal in episode 10. Now, it's not Um, it's not super calculated. It's not... um, I don't think it's uh, as spot on as what was going on in, for instance, Picard Season 3, where they really were dropping... Like, when you get to the end of uh, Picard Season 3, if you go back and watch it all over again, it becomes an entirely different show because you know all of this information, not only about the mystery but about character relationships, um, about certain you feel where all the setups are, right? Sometimes obvious ways, sometimes not so obvious ways. So what Discovery is doing is maybe not quite as deep, but I thought it was interesting. And some of these I'm probably pulling out of thin air. I just thought it would be fun because once I saw this happening, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is making this show even more fun to watch for a second time. And I thought it would be a really fun TV Tuesday segment for those people that have watched the series and maybe you didn't catch all this stuff. So keep in mind, this is all guesswork and speculation. Maybe somebody online did all this and they they did a much more thorough job. Maybe you already knew all this. Who knows? But if not, here goes. What I'm particularly focusing on is this notion of Lorca coming from the Mirror Universe. And I don't even mean clues, right? There's one point in one of the episodes where we see a scar on his back that's a triangle shape that is a reference to the agony machines or the agony devices that they use. I don't mean clues like that. These are other things. So here we go. So in the very first two-parter, when Dekuvma is talking to his fellow Klingons and he meets the albino Valk, he says to him some may see the color of your skin as nature's mistake i call it a mirror for i see myself in you all right so there's there's uh, there's that word right also uh, captain giorgio on her starship she has a telescope how do telescopes work they work with mirrors all right that's one you know okay I might be pulling that one, but hey, it's there. All right, Episode 3. When Michael Burnham first meets Captain Lorca in his ready room, the very first shot of Lorca is a reflection of the stars in his eyes as he's looking out of his ready room. Uh, You know, so reflections, mirrors, right? You know, that also speaks to something later, which I'll mention. Um, and then at the end of the episode, Michael quotes from uh, Al- Alice's adventure in Wonderland. And she actually later reveals that she has a physical copy of that book. And it was given to her by her foster mother, Amanda. What's the follow-up to that book by Carol? Through the looking glass. And what is a looking glass but an old-fashioned way to say Mirror. Episode 4, the very opening scene, Michael is part of Discovery now, she replicates a uniform, she puts it on, and then she is looking at herself when Tilly walks in and Michael states, Computer, Cancel Mirror. So it's like a mirror that the computer can actually create, not in a physical one, but again, there's that word again. It's also in Episode 4 that Giorgio. Uh, has willed her telescope to Michael, so we get to see that again. Episode 5, we get a little bit more about Lorca's eyes, where he says he doesn't trust doctors. We already know that he's very sensitive to light. Um, The most obvious clue so far happens at the end of this episode. So Lieutenant Stamets has replaced the tardigrade, as the biological component for the dash drive. But that comes with unknown complications, right? And it manifests itself in a lot of odd ways throughout the rest of the episodes. But in this episode, at the end of the episode, so he's in the bathroom talking to his partner, and then the partner walks away. Stamets is looking in the mirror, and then he, and we're looking at him, he walks away. The camera pans back to the mirror, and his reflection is still there. And it only walks away after a small delay. Like, come on. Like, that's like the obvious one. First of all, it's an obvious clue that there's something larger going on. But again, this whole theme about mirrors, like, that feels like the biggest clue yet. Episode 6, that's where we see the scar on Lorca's back... We also get another ending, this time with Lorca, also looking out his window once again, and we see his reflection looking back at him. So, there you go. He also has his phaser in his back, and it made me think, isn't that how the Mirror Universe people, they always had their gun, their phasers at their side, right? Um, So that could be a possible clue. The next two episodes don't have any that I, I I might have missed them, but I didn't really come across any of the mirror stuff, even though there are a lot of clues about what's going on. So, for instance, in episode seven, there's dialogue about Lieutenant Stamets and what he's going through, and someone says, lately he's been different. Um, there's a party that goes on in Episode 7, so I thought maybe I would see a mirror ball at the party. That would have been fun, but I don't know if I actually did. And then in Episode 8, Lieutenant Stamets is coming out of the Dash Drive room, and he sees Tilly, and he says, what are you doing down here, Captain? And then later they talk about uh, he's having mood swings. So all those are clues. Um, And then Episode 9... After being used as uh, a navigator for the dash drive for so long, Stamets, he he really does not want to go through a full diagnosis. Now, some of this could be, beca- could be because he doesn't want to worry his partner. Uh, some of it could be if he also is hmm, um, getting replaced by his mirror person, and that's why he's having these mood swings... You know, maybe he doesn't want anybody to look inside him. I don't quite remember how that plays out., uh, but there's a scene where at the end where Lorca tells him that um, he has been oh no, this is not at the end. I think this is uh um, when they, when they want to do like the hundred and thirty jumps he said he says that he's been mapping these jumps and he believes, that using this system is a way to lead to alternative parallel universes. And Stamet says the info might even have perhaps the coordinates to reach them. And Lorca states it can take us to places unknown. And I'm thinking to go back to his very first appearance where all the stars are in his eyes, he wants to go home, right? I think this is how it plays out. But... This is, you know, the larger uh, mystery coming into into play with dialogue. The one mirror reference in this episode happens at the end of the episode when Discovery is going to make one more jump uh, back home. And what it does, it what it does is it, it like spins and then disappears, right before it spins because Lorca does something with the navigation numbers because he doesn't want to go home, um, or he doesn't want to go to Earth. Uh, or whatever station they're going to. Because if he does, then he's going to lose the dash drive. He does something with the navigation thing. They split. The the ship, Discovery, splits. It basically forms a mirror image of itself, more or less. And then it does the rotation thing and disappears. And it never did that before. So so all of these things, as I started noticing these drops, these mirror drops, whether it's dialogue or visual, I just thought, oh, wow. Is it really that per- purposeful? You know, sometimes it's very direct, sometimes it's not. But re-watching it with that in mind totally made these episodes engaging. Not to mention the whole other mystery that speaks for itself about one of the other characters, which I'm not really going to get into because that's a more obvious one. But as far as this whole mirror thing, which I think was, was the biggest surprise uh, for this character, for Lorca... I just think this is really fun. And, and again, if, if you noticed it, awesome. If it's something that's already been out there, also awesome. But if not, take a look at those episodes again. You might really, uh, you know, you might find new things. This is why I like to re-watch things. Because you, you catch things that you didn't see the first time around. So, all right, that's it. Just a little Star Trek Discovery talk here for TV Tuesday. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday recommendations for the week of May 10th, starting with Image Comics, Something Epic, number one, by Simon Kudransky. That is the music that you heard that introed this segment. That's from Image Comics, uh, their, their YouTube page. They like to create little promos. So every now and then I like to find if they have a promo for something I'm going to recommend and that is uh, uh, the music that you heard there so the blurb for this imagination is real outside our perception creative thought takes physical form with only a handful of individuals known as epics able to interact with this wondrous hidden world but for 14 year old Danny Dillon Accepting these responsibilities himself won't be easy or safe. Lose yourself in a world of endless fantasy and creativity where superheroes, monsters, magical creatures, and cartoon characters live and breathe alongside us in a world where the only limitation is your imagination. $3.99. I saw preview pages for this and it sounds like something I would really love. It reminds me a little bit of Echolands by uh, J.H. Williams, where the writer and artist is going full out to try and tell a story about art and craft and comics and story. So I don't know how this is going to read, but uh, I was interested enough in the premise that I thought, yeah, I want to give this a, a look. From Dark Horse Comics, we have The Final Girls Trade Paperback by Kara Ellison and Sally Can- Cantorino for $22.99. This collects the original digital series for the first time in print when the world's most powerful working hero asks her retired peers for help they secretly agree to deal out punishment on another hero in the public eye. But when the weapon of publicity is wielded, it threatens to kick up all of the personal traumas of the heroes, past and present. What does justice look like when violence isn't enough? A wry socio political commentary on superheroines who have been relegated to independent contractor status by their national governments. From AWA, we have The Gatsby Graphic Novel for $19.99. This is by Jeremy Holt, Philippe Kuna, Darabla Kelly, with a foreword by Billy Porter. When middle-class Singaporean student Luzo is invited to spend a summer on Long Island with his rich cousin Tommy before attending Columbia University in the fall, His assimilation into the opulent American lifestyle straps him into a collision course fueled by designer drugs, sex, deceit, and murder. Set in present-day Long Island, Gatsby reimagines F. F. Scott Fitzgerald's classic novel as an LGBTQ-tinged multicultural thriller for the internet age. And there must be something in the air because Clover Press has been doing a faithful adaptation of the novel, and that's entitled *The Great Gatsby*. I think there are up to six issues that have been released, with a possible seventh. So two, uh, you know, two comics trying to wrap their, you know, wrap the craft and wrap the uh, medium around this story, which is kind of cool. From DC Comics, Dawn of DC. We have Spirit World One of Six by Alyssa Wong and Han- Haning. From the pages of Lazarus Planet Dark Fate, we have a new hero who's able to travel to and from the realm of the dead known as Spirit World. Their name is Xanthi, and their superpower is being able to burn items folded from Joss paper and immediately turn them into real objects based on the East Asian practice of burning Joss paper at graveyards in order to send resources to ancestors in the spirit world. When Constantine shows up saying Xanthi scammed him into buying something, he finds Xanthi and Batgirl Cass Kane fighting an abnormal influx of Chinese hopping vampires but when a portal opens up that drags Batgirl into the spirit world, it's up to Xanthe and Constantine to travel to the land of the spirits to rescue her. Most of that was the setup in Lazarus Planet, and then the miniseries is dealing with the consequences for, and that runs for $3.99. And then Green Lantern, number one, written by Flash, uh, former Flash writer Jeremy Adams, and art by Zermanico. There's a backup John Stewart story by Philip Kennedy Johnson, and artist Montos. Spinning out of the events of Dark Crisis, the Guardians of Oa, at the heart of the Green Lantern Corps, have quarantined Sector 2814, home of the planet Earth, and its champion, along with it. A heartbreaking defeat has sent Hal reeling, returning home to rediscover his roots and find the man responsible for ruining his life, Sinestro. A tale of redemption, loss, and finding out that maybe, just maybe, you can go home again. At least if you're willing to hotwire a power ring to do it. And then as I mentioned, there's a Jon Stewart backup story entitled War Journal. That is $4.99. I am looking forward to reading that. I have not read a Green Lantern comic in a long, long time. An ongoing series, anyway. So, looking forward to jumping into that. All right, those are your recommendations for the week of May 10th. Just when you thought it was safe to hear our podcast promo. <laughs> J.L. May, do-do-do-do-do, Brave and Bold, do-do-do-do-do, books, do-do-do-do-do-do, JL May, do 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 do, brave and the bold, do 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 do, comic books, do 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 do, JL May. JL May, do 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 brave and the bold, do 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 comic books, do 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 do, JL May. JL May, brave and the bold, do 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 comic books, do 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 do, JL May. The annual podcast crossover event celebrating the Justice League is back. And we're covering the 2007 Brave and the Bold series that started with Mark Wade and George Freakin-Perez and ended with J. Michael Straczynski. Throughout the month of May, participating podcasts will release special episodes on issues in the run. It all kicks off in the Overlook Dark Knight podcast. Follow the event on social media using the hashtag JLMay2023. Coming this May. J.L. make do-do-do-do-do-do. Brave and the Bold do-do-do-do-do. Comic books do-do-do-do-do-do. Mephisto. Hey! That it? Is that what you want? things I do for this show. Podcast recommendation time again. We have some anniversaries that are being celebrated. A return of a podcast. So I just wanted to devote a segment here on the Daily Rios to spread some love, and to give some shout-outs. So Geek Syndicate has celebrated their 350th podcast, even though they admit that they've probably produced more than that. That was dropped on April 25th, and your hosts are Barry and Dave over in the UK, still doing their thing after all these years. And I'm still listening. It's been a treat to see how their friendship has grown, how their podcast has grown, and just little things in their lives that you get to witness, such as um, Dave right now has been getting into some uh, some motion capture work and some video game uh, voiceover work. And uh, he was just coming off of a theatrical tour. So just really great. Just really great to keep up with Barry and Dave Back in February, the Awesome Comics Podcast, also based out of the UK, celebrated their 400th episode, and their blurb is, where small press makes a big noise. Their focus is on independent comics, and they've been running since 2015, so if you've never heard them, give them a listen. Uh, Announced this week, Boom Addiction... Is back with your hosts Chris Parton and Ed Moore, and they are starting season four of Boom Addiction. You can catch them every Thursday at nine o'clock on YouTube, and then that discussion gets put into audio podcast form. Um, I've been listening to them for a while, and they had stopped doing Boom Addiction, and they started to do they started Comic Addiction back up again which was the podcast that Chris Parton had started, you know, way, 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 way long time ago. Um, Sometime in the late 2000s, I think. Uh, Their conversation on comic addiction was a little more one-sided because they weren't really reading the same thing. But when they do Boom Addiction, they focus in, obviously, the titles for uh, Boom Studios. And they uh, match up their readings more. So I felt, I feel like the conversation here is, uh, what I really like when they are targeting a specific title because they can both dig into the title. So I enjoy that. And a lot of the stuff from Boom, I'm not really reading even, even if I want to, or I don't get to these titles until way later. So, it helps me to pick and choose like which ones I want to read first or which ones I want to jump into right away. So yeah, really glad, really glad that Boom Addiction is back. So welcome back, gents. Speaking of YouTube, go and follow or at least give some views to Soda Pop Comics at the Soda Pop Soda Pop Comics PR channel. This is hosted by Rosa Colón Guerra as a way to document her work her process and her comics or illustrations the videos range anywhere from three minutes to 30 minutes i watched a bunch of the shorter ones Uh, for instance there was a video where rosa was doing uh, a Lino block print for halloween that threw me right back to my high school art classes right so like you design an image on a piece of paper you trace it or you use carbon paper to put it on this block and then you go in and you carve out sections that you don't want to show up on 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 a print. Because then what you do is you take a roller and you go over that block and the ink only goes over the parts that are raised. Uh and you know you got to get the edges right and you got to get the you know uh it, it just I got flashbacks And a little stress, not to lie, but I was like, oh yeah, I remember doing those. Um, There's also uh, a little ASMR vibe going on with some of the videos that I really enjoyed as well. I'm sure that's not intentional, but I enjoyed that. So Rosa was on one of my favorite The Daily Rios episodes, 536, along with Sean Pryor and Barry Nugent, speaking of Barry again. Um, That episode was a round-robin discussion on writing and self-publishing from those three creators who really are hustling. You know, they're doing their work. They're trying to maintain a a social media presence as well. I really loved that conversation. So, again, go visit the YouTube channel. You can just punch in Soda Pop Comics PR. Uh, Just view the videos. Let them play. You might learn something if you're an artist. Uh, You know, just trying to support that new endeavor that Rosa is uh, working on. And finally, as the bumper to this segment uh, announced, or, or, you know, as you heard, just another reminder that JL May 2023 is in full effect in this month of May. I talked about this on a previous digest. I just want to touch on it again for anyone that might have missed it, and especially because, as I said, we are now in the middle of... J.L. May. So what is J.L. May? It's a podcast crossover event that began in 2016. As the title suggests, it's a celebration of the Justice League of America. So in 2016, they covered J.L.A. Year One. In 2017, they did the Justice Maxi Series. 2018, they did the Silver Age Fifth Week Event. 2019, Blackest Night, and others. So, this time around, the subject is Brave and the Bold, the series that began in 2007 with Mark Waid and George Perez, which was a team-up book, but it, was, it, it ran a little differently, right? There was a, an overarching story in the first 12 issues or so, but each issue contained, usually, a different pairing. So you would have Green Lantern and Batman, and then Batman and somebody else, but then you would have Supergirl and Lobo, um, and et cetera, right? You know, sometimes you would have more than one pairing. So the idea for J.L. May is that all the participating podcasts uh, talk about one specific issue. Sometimes they cover more than one issue, and they're supposed to release that episode on the date that correlates to their issue. So, May 1st, you get Brave and the Bold, issue number one. May 2nd, you get issue number two, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, my participation is with issue five, featuring Batman versus the Legion of Superheroes. So, Eric and I recorded a Tales of the Legion Project podcast, which is currently on Eric's Longbox review feed, um, because we released it on May 5th. And it's probably on the Daily Rios feed by the time you hear this, uh, because I'm always I always release mine later. Um, I love podcast crossovers like this. It's a good way to possibly get some extra ears, some promotion. You get to connect with other podcasters. You get to listen to their shows, perhaps for the first time and you know i certainly listen and i go oh i really like that dis- how that discussion went so i'm going to continue to listen um i've been part of the super blog team up in recent months and years uh occasionally uh podcast crossovers go all the way back to cgs days we used to do something called the comics podcast theme event i think initially it was by bruce rosenberger and i remember doing a couple topics with that uh or even just crossing over with early appearances with with lo- uh, los comic ecos right we did an episode on their show they did an episode on our show um yeah a lot of fun love podcast crossover events so with JL May 2023 start with the overlooked Dark Knight episode number 76 where they take a look at Brave and the Bold number one. You can find that at fortressofbaileytude.com. That's B-A-I-L-E-Y-T-U-D-E. And then you go from there. And who knows? You know, there are 30 plus issues of that Brave and the Bold volume. So you might come across a new favorite podcast to listen to. All right. That's it for this segment. I try to do my best and pay attention as I can on social media to see who's celebrating an anniversary or who has some special events. So always feel free to send me links or announcements. Definitely send me some promos uh, because I, I will be happy to share that information here on The Daily Rios. Listen up. Let's start from the ground up. Where does paper come from? Trees. Trees. And where do trees grow? For... Soil. Right. So to close out this digest for this Friday segment, I had a random comic book collecting topic that popped into my head. And it involves comic books and environment. Or your climate or your specific area of where you live. And this is spurned on because... I don't know if this has happened to anybody else, but uh, I will sometimes open up a new uh, DCBS package, and, you know, the comics are all snug in their little bags when you get them from DCBS, and they're all, you know, pressed together. And then you open up the plastic, you pull them out, you know, I do my inventory. And as the comic is sitting there, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, you know, you notice it's laying flat, and then it starts to get slightly wavy along the edge. And it's happened with single comics, it's happened with trades. It's not like it's, it, it's getting ruined, but it's just, you know, you just it just gets that slight little, like, What is that? Right. And it's the paper quality. Obviously, it's the paper quality meeting the, um, you know, the moisture in the air. And it's creating um, it's warping the books a little bit, just a tiny bit. You know, it's like not enough to to be destroyed, but it's just a little bit to be annoying more than anything. And I know that there are collectors that use humidifiers. I believe it was Harlan Ellison who had an environmentally controlled room. But it made me think, you know, what's it like for comic collectors around the the world? You know, around the world, depending on where they live. Do they live near the beach? Do they live in rainy areas like, I don't know, Seattle or wherever? Uh, what about on an island like Puerto Rico? You know, what's it like to collect in dry, hot climates versus, you know, wet climates, you know? Um, If you have, like, a lot of humidity, um, how does that affect your comic books, right? Like, I've seen people online post videos, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm going outside to read some comics, and I think, no, I could never do that. I would never want to do that. And it's not because where I live is especially wet, Uh, you know, it's not that, it's just, I'm just so kind of precious with uh, trying to keep the conditions of my books, right, because I do try to resell them at times. Um, I can remember visiting some comic stores, and they would have the door open. Uh, I would hate when i lived in new york i remember a few times i would go to midtown comics and it would be downpouring but i had to go to the store and i would just hate it because even if your hands are dry there's moisture there's moisture in the air there's moisture on your body if you have an umbrella uh there's other people touching the books right and i would i would just go and grab some bags and boards and i would try to quickly throw the comic into there plus i would have to leave and if I, you know, I usually would have a book bag, but if I didn't, I would have to stick them under my shirt and my jacket just to try to keep the moisture away from them. Um, it's a thing, right? It's a, it's a thing I think about. I don't know if any, everybody else, anybody else, does. Um, everything I own is bagged and boarded, even magazines, even Wizard magazines, even oversized collections and hard covers. I have to sometimes Frankenstein together a few bags, larger bags, to try to get an oversized hardcover fully covered, fully protected, right? It's a pain to open back up again, but at least I know, you know, these books are safe. And and if there is some kind of, like, overlap between the bags, I gotta make sure that the bag on, on the top of the hardcover is outside of the bag that's on the bottom of the hardcover, right? Because just in case, if like it got wet, it can't go into the crease, right? See, I've moved a lot over the many, many, many years of comic book collecting. I think the number is up to like, I don't know, if I count both ways, or or maybe if I only count one way, um it's gotta be upwards to like 10 to 12 times that I've moved my collection to a new place, right? Uh, And then if you double that, because, you know, you move in and then you move out, right? Um, I have to think about that. I have to think about it has to be protected, not only from the climate, but, um, you know, the conditions of the new place. If you're a renter, things can happen. You can get leaks. You can get water damage. I mean, water has haunted me through a few different places that I've rented over the years. Uh, In college, we were on winter break. This was my sophomore year, so I was at home. The apartment that I shared with roommates, or I should say the house that I shared with roommates, uh, the roof collapsed because of snow, and my room in particular got affected. Um, There were leaks from upstairs neighbors in like apartments that I lived in whether it's because their bathtub overflowed or their washing machine overflowed. I've had roof leaks. Uh, I've certainly had damage when Hurricane Sandy came through. I think I even talked about that on an early Daily Rios episode. Yeah. (laughs) Remind me to do a segment sometime on uh, the very real condition of renter's trauma, you know, there are things that renters have to deal with and homeowners too, but there's just something about, you know, something about all the places I've lived in, um, had, had really great, great qualities, really bad qualities, you know, and it's just things you deal with as a renter, uh, even in nice places. I'm not talking about, you know, places that you have to get because you're in college. I'm talking about legit nice places as well. So anyway, uh, yeah, my collection is protected bags and boards, uh, boarded up I mean uh, you know in boxes um, trying to always keep them away from the cold but that's not possible. So that's why I have to bag and board them. but this this thing about the warping, you know it's again obviously it's paper quality it's I've I've seen discussions online over the many 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 years recently about very thin covers, very thin paper stock. Bad trade quality. I don't mean the binding, I mean the paper itself. And obviously, your climate, your environment, affects that. So, what's it like for you? Do you have to deal with that? Do you know what I'm talking about when it comes to warping? Um, Also, in the past many years, people have gotten into the whole pressing of comics to try to get rid of some of those bad qualities in a comic. So, yeah comics and your environment what kind of thing do you have to do or do you not care uh which i'm sure there are people if you don't care and you just you know have your collection and it's not bad and boring, you just don't care i don't really need to hear from you <laughs> i want to hear from the people that you know have that little little bit of set uh, of obsession um and they have to protect their books for whatever reason, but especially if it has to do with the environment around you? Uh, Or did you notice a change? Like, did you move from one place to another, you know, one state to another state, you know, from the north to the south, east, west, whatever, a whole other country? And what did it mean? What does that mean with your books in another place? So, all right. Email me, peter at thedailyrios.com. Go and visit the Daily Rios website and Instagram. Go follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Review me on your favorite podcast catcher. Share the podcast where you can. Uh, Let me know if you have any book club recommendations, any podcast promos. This has been the Daily Rios episode 616 for Saturday, May 13th, 2023. Talk to you soon to go among mad people oh you can't help that most everyone's mad here